Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 through 7 of Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. We begin reading there in verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this passage of Scripture, there's a lot here, and we're not going to get every detail, but we want to unpack a little bit in this introduction of this letter that Paul is writing to the Romans about the gospel of God, the gospel of God. So if you're taking notes, you need a title for the message today. That's the title of the message is the gospel of God, which comes directly from our text there. Uh, in the, the very first verse, he says that he is separated unto the gospel of God. So we want to talk about what that is a little bit this, this morning. But Romans is considered uh, to be um, one of the greatest, the, the most comprehensive presentations of Christian doctrine that's ever been written. Uh, some people would even go far as saying it might be the greatest letter uh, that was ever written. It was written by the Apostle Paul. From Corinth about 57 AD, and it's the longest epistle that Paul wrote. Uh, It's addressed to, it's not addressed to the church at Rome, which is the way that a lot of uh, Paul's letters were were addressed, but instead uh, it's addressed to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So Paul describes himself here in verse 1 as the servant of Jesus Christ and that he was called to be an apostle. Paul also says he was set apart for the gospel of God. And so we're going to spend most of our time understanding, because that's what Paul does in this introduction. He says he's separated into the gospel of God, and then he's going to take a little kind of a a side, uh, a turn aside before he jumps into the letter. And let me explain what that is. It's almost like he cannot just say this gospel of God without giving a little bit of explanation about what he's talking about. So that's, that's primarily what we're going to do. Uh, and, and we need to see that how important this was to Paul, that they understand that this is the gospel. This is the gospel that he was set apart for, separated unto the gospel of God. We see uh, God's hand in, in each aspect of this. So we're going to jump right in. And we see in verse 2 where he says, "...which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture." So our first point is the gospel promised before. The gospel promised before. It's promised in the Scriptures. The gospel of God is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. I think that's really important for us to understand. The gospel that Paul is going to 
systematically unpack through this whole Roman letter is not some new idea or some new religion or, or something that Paul has come up with or, or that Paul has designed. It's not Paul's gospel. Uh, it's not Paul's ideas. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And so by saying, when he says here that this was promised afore by the prophets in the Holy Scripture, he's linking those two things. He's saying, this message that I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ was promised aforetime in the Old Testament. And those two things are linked together. Uh, We need to always be sure that the gospel that we preach is not our gospel. It's not just... Uh, our ideas, but rather it is the gospel that the Bible supports, both in the Old and the New Testament, what was promised in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. And so that's Paul's message. He says, this is not my ideas. This is promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. And if you want to get a little bit versed in that, just go read the entire book of Isaiah. It'd be wonderful reading, and you'll see all the connections. It's amazing. Now, I know that nowadays we don't use a lot of books anymore. Everything's online. Um, it's amazing to me, especially you know, younger preachers, they hardly ever open a book. Um, it, it, you know, that it's, everything's online, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's very convenient. But in the back of the old Strong's Concordance, if you have one of those, flip all the way to the back. There's, there's a huge section there, and it shows all the prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. If you want a wonderful just kind of side study to do, just go through that. Just look at each one. Say, okay, here's the, here's the prophecy. Here's the promise that was made in the Old Testament. Here's how it's fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful exercise. Take a little time because there's a lot of those. Uh, but it, it would be a wonderful exercise for you to do. So this gospel uh, that Paul is going to lay out here, he says the first thing is it's promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now... God is faithful in this. It says, Concerning His, His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh. God is faithful in this uh, by, because it says it was promised afore in the Holy Scriptures and it has been fulfilled. So we see the faithfulness of God that those promises that were made in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the New Testament. That's a wonderful practical truth for us to understand. So when we see that, of course we say, well, that means that what we're reading in the New Testament is true. It was promised aforetime. It was fulfilled in the New Testament. That, that encourages our faith. But it's also a very practical thing for, under, for us to understand that God can be trusted. So for you in your daily life, when you, when you see that God fulfills His promises all the time, then that helps you in a very practical way to understand that God can be trusted. It may look sometimes as though he's forgotten his promises, but he does not forget. God is faithful. He is a God who fulfills his promises. So this verse 2 is not only just a statement about the gospel itself, but it teaches us about God. It's also a reason for believing it because God is faithful. If we can see that God promised Christ centuries before he came, and that in all the different details of that, they're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ then that gives us trust in God and encourages our faith in all of His other promises. Did you know that God promises a lot of things for His people in the Bible? A lot of wonderful promises. If you're ever depressed, discouraged, um, just feeling down, think on those things. That God has promised you many, many things in the Scripture. And He's a faithful God. He will always come through on His promises. So then also we learn from this that 
this, you know, maybe if you have your Bible with you today, if you flip it all the way to the front and look at the cover, it says, what does it normally say on those? It says the Holy Bible, right? The Holy Bible. Well, this is a proof text for that. So if you wanted to know why that that's on your Bible, these are the Holy Scriptures. So what does that mean? Well, it means that these are set apart. These are different from other writings. Uh, the Bible is different than any other book that you can read. And I think this is really important for us to understand as well today. I love to read books. I, I even read, the, believe it or not, I read books that I don't agree with. Did you know that? I read some, some books about the Bible that I don't agree with every single thing that they say. But I read them and I, I kind of, I, I tell people I can chew the meat and spit out the bone, right? That's okay. But did you know that that's, we have to be really careful when we do that because we can't trust it 100%. We have to read it. We have to discern it. And the way that we discern it is we compare it to the Scriptures. But isn't it wonderful that we have the Bible that is set apart, that's different? The Holy Scriptures that we can say we can trust 100%. Well, these Scriptures, Paul says, which he had promised aforetime by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul says this is something that you can trust. Uh, these prophecies that were made aforetime, this is the Word of God. He spoke this. Um, he spoke this. It was not the prophets. By his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I, this is one case where I actually like some of the other translations a little more than the King James because it says through uh, rather than the way it's worded in the King James, which I think is, is wonderful because uh, the men of the Old Testament that wrote those prophecies, it wasn't their words. It wasn't their prophecy. They were uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we see that these writings are inspired. They are set apart, and that's what makes them holy. This is Paul's understanding of Scripture, and it should be our understanding of Scripture also. So that's why we have, uh, that's why we have him mentioning this to give, to give authority to what it is that he's going to say. He mentions his uh, understanding of the Scriptures, that they are set apart. And that's why it's important for us, so I said earlier, it's okay to read these other books. That's why it's important for you as a Christian to always be in the Word of God. You must always be in the Word of God. It is uh, important that we hear preaching of the Word of God, that we read the Bible, that we study the Bible. Uh, so important for Christians today. You are being bombarded by more information at one time than any people has in the history of the world. Information is coming at you from every different angle. Your phone... Uh, the TV, the, the radio, all of, the, all of these things. It's amazing what comes through this little device in, in our pocket. We had a little um, kind of a, a study at our school that we're doing throughout the year. And one of them, we had a group come in and talk to us about technology. And honestly, it was very sobering. And he said, he was uh, at one point in the talk, he said, can you imagine why would you set loose a young child with something that has pretty much all of the information that the world's ever gathered in their pocket all at one time. And it's just a sobering thought to think about that. So because we have all this information coming at us so fast, it's extremely important that we know the filter and that we're in that constantly. We're in the Word of God, which tells us that is our source of truth. It is uh, what we believe uh, is the truth, and it's our only rule of faith and practice. Now, we say that a lot. What does that mean? That means that ultimately what we're going to trust in is only the Word of God. Uh, there are other documents that we read. There's other things that we understand that are explanations of the Scriptures. But ultimately we go back to the Word of God as that which is set apart. Now, secondly, he's going to jump into uh, the subject of the Gospel. So first we looked at 
that uh, the gospel was promised before. And now he's going to jump in what the subject of the gospel is. And that is in Romans 1.3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. The subject of the gospel. So what would you say is the subject of the gospel? Well, it's Jesus Christ. That's the subject of the gospel. I think sometimes when we use the word gospel, we really try to complicate it a lot. Uh, There is a simplicity to the gospel that I think that we don't need to get beyond sometimes. Well, the simple subject of the gospel is Jesus Christ himself. He says about the gospel of God that it concerns his son. The gospel of God concerns his son, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. It's all about the Son of God. And, and Romans, as you go continue through the book, and uh, just to let you know why we're preaching on Romans 1 this morning, I'm preaching through this book in, uh, at, at our church, and I'm in Romans chapter 4 right now, and, and at times Romans will stretch your mind. 100% will stretch your mind. There are subjects that it covers and doctrines that it dives into that are really difficult, honestly, for us to even understand and comprehend. But I love how he starts the letter by saying there's a simplicity to this in the gospel of God that it concerns his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, And we're going to get a little detail about Jesus Christ. That's what he's going to do next. And and I think that's uh, of utmost importance. And the first thing that he tells us about Christ concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The first thing he tells us is, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He is a descendant of David. Paul says that Jesus was born a descendant of David according to the flesh. So in that, he's saying really two things at once. Number one, Jesus was born. So this time of year, I said, I'm not preaching a Christmas message, but sort of. Okay, here it comes. Did you know that it's an amazing, amazing thing just to say that the Son of God was born? That's an amazing thing. I mean, we could marvel at that. We could spend this whole message just talking about the implications that Jesus Christ was born. He was born as a real person, a real human being. The work that he had to do, uh, that he was sent to accomplish, required that he take on human nature along with his divine nature. So I think it's really important for us to understand and, and you've heard this many, many times. I've, I've heard Brother Zach um, preach about this since I was barely old enough to understand it. Jesus Christ is 100% God and He's 100% man. And that doesn't make sense. Right? So let's just admit it from the beginning. It's not something that you're going to be able to fully comprehend. But we, we believe it by faith because it's what the Bible teaches. He's fully God and fully man, or 100% and 100%. That doesn't equal 100% in human thinking, but we understand it to be so. He was born. He took on human nature. God did not choose a man and then make him the Son of God. It's not how that worked. He didn't choose a man and make him the Son of God. He chose to make His eternal Son a man. Uh, It's an amazing, amazing thing. And so when we talk about the birth of Christ, especially this time of year, uh, what an amazing thing for us to stop and contemplate that the eternal Son of God entered into time, 
took on human flesh, was born of a woman. What an amazing, amazing thing that that is. And it has huge implications for you and I uh, about our salvation, about what's going to happen when we die. All of those things, all those big questions that so many people worry about and philosophers wonder about uh, is really tied up in the fact that Christ was born, that He came to the earth, uh, that it was part of the history of redemption for Him to be made man. And he was also born in the line of King David of the Old Testament. Now, why is that part of the gospel? Why is that part of the good news? Well, the answer is that he's, 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 getting, he's explaining a little bit about what he has already said. Remember we said that this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. These things have been promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so this is Paul saying... Let me tell you one of those things. One of those things is, is that he would be of the line of King David in the Old Testament. Um, all of those promises depended on that being true. And he was. He was of the line of David. He would rule as a king in the line of David, conquer the enemies of God's people, bring righteousness and peace forever. He would be the answer to all of those promises that God made in the Old Testament. He's the answer of all of those uh, and in one man, Jesus Christ. So, a couple of Old Testament promises I'll read to you. Jeremiah 23, 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Isaiah eleven ten. In that day, the root of Jesse, the son of David, Jesse's offspring, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. So the gospel of God is the good news that now, after hundreds of years, God acted to fulfill His plan and promise that a king would come in the line of David. And as Isaiah 9 says, the government will be on His shoulders. So He is fulfilling these prophecies in Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. So the gospel of God is the good news that that time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. So the coming of the Son of God into the world was the coming of the Son of David, the promised King. And He would rule over the nations, triumph over the enemies of God and rule with a righteousness and peace And according to Isaiah 35, um, all of those things would come to pass in this man, Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? I heard an interview recently, and and I cannot think of the man's name uh, for some reason this morning. I can't think of it. But very famous uh, political commentator. He happens to be a Jew. He was uh, on a podcast recently, and and it was a Christian podcast. And so they, they really went there, and they said, Okay, we want to ask you about the man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. What do you think about him? So, so what, is your, what is your thought of him? Well, he, was he the Messiah? That was the question they asked. I thought, that's brave uh, for you to invite this man on your podcast and then just throw that at him right off the bat. Well, it was so interesting to hear his answer because it sounded a lot like the apostles before they truly understood. He said, well, it, it can't be that he was the Messiah because 
He didn't overthrow. Uh, he didn't overthrow the oppressors. He didn't set up an earthly kingdom. You know, the Messiah is going to do all of those. Th- I mean, it was just almost like you could just hear the, the same answer that the apostles were giving. Uh, so so many uh, were really deceived in that way until God opened their eyes. But did Jesus in coming? Did was he a king? Did he set up an earthly? I mean, did he set up a kingdom? Not an earthly kingdom. Did he set up a kingdom? Yes, he did. Uh, did he conquer over the enemies? Absolutely, he did. In a, in a in a way that uh, they just didn't understand. But he is the promised king. He is of the line of David. But then there's something extremely, extremely important. So he talks about the humanity of Christ for a while, which we think about a lot at this time of year, about Christ being come and being born and in bodily form. But then also he goes on beyond that. So let's go back to our text, start in verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son Jesus Christ, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And look at verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says at the very beginning of verse 3 there that this gospel concerning His Son Jesus Christ, uh, and, and, and when he says that up in the top part, when he says uh, concerning His Son Jesus Christ, uh, he calls Him... Uh, up there to be deity, but he he supports that again in the beginning of verse 3. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. In Colossians 2, 9, Paul says that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead lives bodily. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Uh, That, well, like we said, when we really try to understand that, it just kind of it goes right over our head, but the gospel of God is not about um, some outside way that God, but God instead, He became flesh, He entered into creation. It's about God coming into human affairs from the outside uh, in the person of His Son, who is the perfect image of the Father and is Himself, and I think this the most important thing, and is Himself God. Jesus Christ was God. And I'm going to try not to do a whole lot of rabbit trails this morning because I want to to keep the the time where it should be. But I can't help this one. Uh, When when we say that Jesus Christ is God, there's a lot of people that say, you know, Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. Well, I I don't know the New Testament that they're reading, but Jesus Christ claimed to be God. In fact, He did it on multiple occasions, and every time He did it, people weren't happy about it. Uh, we have that in, in the New Testament record. So don't let ever, anybody ever kind of try to get you on a sidetrack with that. Well, he never really claimed to be God. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. He was God. He claimed it and he was God in the flesh. So Paul puts a huge uh, exclamation point on this gospel of God by saying that not only was it promised, not only was uh, he born flesh, but he was God, uh, that Jesus Christ is divine. The deity of Christ is kind of what he's bringing to the forefront here about this gospel, that Jesus Christ is divine. He is God. Now, this is uh, proven through the resurrection. So in verse 4, it says, "...declared to be the Son of God, uh, the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead." 
So, as we've already said, most of the Jewish people in Paul's day, they expected that the Messiah would come with power, with uh, political sway, that he would come and, and throw off the oppressors, and he would set up an earthly government and earthly power, and that they would then reign, there would be a kingdom, God's people would be ruling, they would defeat the Romans and establish this earthly kingdom in Jerusalem, and then they would all live forever triumphant with his people. So for them to comprehend that the Messiah would come and then be crucified by those very oppressors that they thought he was going to overthrow is almost inconceivable to them. It's, it's almost something that they just could not comprehend. Christ didn't come in the manner that they expected him to come. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was mocked. He was even crucified. But that's not the end of the story. It's not where the story ends. And that's a good thing for you and I. Because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that is the, uh, the ultimate stamp of approval that Jesus Christ is who He says He was. The fact that He came forth from the tomb, the, the fact that He was resurrected from the dead means that Jesus was who He said that He was. And that God also accepted the sacrifice that was made for our sins. That's the argument that Paul makes in Corinthians chapter 15, where he says that if Christ be not raised, uh, you know, remember what he said right after that? If Christ be not raised, then what I'm doing today is vanity. It's just vain. There's no, no purpose in, in me being here and preaching to you today. Brother Isaac could have saved you and me a lot of time, and, and, and there's no purpose in me driving here if Christ is in the tomb. But because Christ is raised, we have a message, we have a gospel that is worth sharing, that is worth talking about, and it's worth for us getting excited about this morning. Because Christ came forth from the tomb. Therefore, the sacrifice for our sins was accepted. So when he says, if Christ be not raised, that hypothetical statement is wrong. Christ was raised. Paul says two things here about this resurrection. The resurrection from the dead was according to the spirit of holiness. God's Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One day you're going to be raised again by the spirit of God uh, in, in in the way that Christ was also raised. So the Spirit was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. And of course, there's a a very easy application to that as well that a lot of people today are confused about. Uh, Something that's very important to me. There's another kind of death that you have also experienced, which is spiritual death. And did you know that you cannot be raised without the Spirit of God in that death either? Uh, Without the Spirit of God acting on you, you are spiritually dead. Uh, And... I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here. I want to go to Romans chapter 4 and show you something there in Romans chapter 4 that I thought was really beautiful. Romans chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Talking about Abraham. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. 
And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now I'm, going to, I'm not going to dive completely into that passage, but I want to point something out to you that when I was studying this really just kind of leaped off the page to me. When we're talking about that the Holy Spirit is involved in raising the dead, in this passage it talks about Abraham. And Abraham, you remember, and, and what it's referencing here is that Abraham was told that he was going to have a son. And that that son, out of that son, there was, he was going to be the father of of many nations. That's the promise that was made to Abraham, right? We could go back in the Old Testament and look at that. Well, Abraham was a hundred years old. Sarah was old. He looked at his, and when, when it says, you know, I, I kind of emphasized it so that we would see, but when, when Abraham looked at himself, he said, his body now dead, the deadness of Sarah's womb, from all human aspects, that was a lost cause, right? That was a lost cause. Abraham even tried to do something in his own way to make, to make it right. Big mistake. Still paying for that one all the way till today. Uh, there's still kind of all kind of things going on because of that. But, but rather than that, he looks at his body now dead, Sarah's womb now dead. But, but go back up in the text. Go back up to verse 17. Because the God that we serve says before whom... He believed even God, and listen how it describes God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's an amazing statement. All right, so God is, is He who can raise the dead, and not only that, it says He can call things that are not as though they were. So this is basically what that means. He can speak things into existence that are not there. Isn't that amazing? So scientists today, they have, they've really come a long way and it's amazing what they can do. And so they can take some cells and kind of put them together and they can, they can create something with it and it's pretty amazing. But you know, they always have to start with something. You know, how many scientists go in a lab and say, let there be light and there's light. If they do, then we're all in trouble. Right? We're all in trouble. They can't do that. But God can speak those things uh, into existence. According to, uh, it says here, uh, when it describes him in verse 17, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So in the case of Abraham and Sarah, there was a, a supernatural thing that happened there, right? That in, in human speaking, that could not have happened. There was dead and deadness, and out of it came life. Well, to you, Christian, today, if you're a believer, at some point, there was deadness. God spoke and there became life. And because of that, you understand this gospel of God uh, that Paul is speaking about. Such an important thing for us to understand. So, small sidetrack there, but I think worth our time to see this about who God is. The God that can speak life into existence where there is only death. So, by this resurrection, Christ was declared the Son of God with power. So we said there's a couple of things he says about this. The second one is that Christ was declared the Son of God with power. Now, uh, the, the KJV and 
and the RSV are, are both um, very right in showing in this phrase that it modifies the Son of God. Others try to, to write that in a different way. Uh, but the point is that Christ uh, was not... Uh, uh, it, well, I'm not going to get into all of that. That's, that's really technical. But the point is that at the, at the resurrection, Christ moved from being the Son of God in lowliness and with human limitation and weakness to the Son of God with power. So the key phrase there is with power. So when we are around this time of year and we're talking about Christ coming, that was hard for the Jews to understand the way that He came. Um, who would have thought that the, the Lord of all the universe would come and be born in a manger? That uh, even though there were some miraculous things that happened there, um, if you were the shepherds, it seemed pretty miraculous, right? Uh, with, when the angel comes and speaks to you and then there's a host of, of heavenly hosts uh, praising the Lord and worshiping. So it, it seemed pretty miraculous to them. But in, in the bigger scheme of things, it didn't seem um, you know, huge that there was the coming of this king. He came in a very humble way. He lived in a very humble way. But when he returns, it's going to be very different. He's not coming back in the same way that he came the first time. He is the Son of God with power. And this is what Jesus meant after the resurrection when He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in the earth. It's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said of the risen Christ that He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. And that last enemy that will be uh, dealt with is death. And so the day will come when Christ will defeat every enemy, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in, in Philippians chapter 2. It's kind of hard to read in the beginning because we talk about, he says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who uh, being equal with God, that He was God, that He was willing to become flesh and take upon Him the form of a servant and that amazingly the King of the whole universe lived in such a humble way and was obedient even to death. It's just a hard thought for us to even comprehend. But I'm glad that passage doesn't end there. It goes on to say he's also highly exalted. And one day, all of those enemies, all of the people even today, and, and when I think of that passage, I try to think of the worst person I can think of. You know, I don't know if you do that or not, but I do that. I try to think of who's the person that just is a thorn in the side of Christians, who's just an evil person, who's an unbeliever. And I try to think of that person and say, one day that person is going to bow their knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to be total victory. I think of people like Hitler and you know people like that probably probably because I'm I'm a history major and and studied all of that but you think of the worst person you can think of. That person one day is going to bow the knee and say Jesus Christ is Lord. They're going to have to admit the truth about who Jesus Christ is. So then uh, we'll move on uh, in our passage here uh, it says uh, that back in our text in Romans chapter 1, uh, we'll, we'll move on and, and see what else he says about this gospel. He says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for His name. So by whom, by Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. Now, the Apostle Paul had surely experienced saving grace, right? 
So that, that's one thing we can absolutely understand that he means by this when he says he's received grace is that he has received saving grace. Paul uh, writes late, later that grace was obtained for us through obedience and death of this incarnate Christ. Uh, and grace is poured out through the risen and reigning Son of God in power. There's no grace towards sinners apart from the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without His life, death, and resurrection, without His obedience, without uh, all of those things, there would be no grace for you and I. Verse 5 says plainly that God gives grace by Him, referring to Jesus Christ our Lord at the end of verse 4. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, very plainly says that we are saved by grace through faith. And so he's going to mention that as well uh, in this passage. He says that we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. I've been a little bit disappointed and uh, lately I've heard you know, several different uh, people in the ministry and you know, they're discussing things and, and somehow they, they have turned all the way around and began discussing faith as a work. Well, if you believe that, then you believe in, in works because of faith. I don't, I don't think that faith is a work. In the sense that it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, It is a gift of God as well. So we receive grace and we receive faith through the Spirit of God. I believe that regeneration precedes faith and therefore faith uh, is not something that we come up with on our own. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So grace is a reality that comes from God and comes through Jesus and His work for us. It's not something that uh, we have earned. Therefore, it, I mean, because of that, it would not be grace. If it's of works, it's not of grace. And if it's of grace, it cannot be of works. So there's no way that we can earn the grace of God. We get it freely uh, because of the obedience and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I do think that's part of what he's talking about here, but I think probably even in the greater meaning in this text, when you really look at the text itself, he says, "...by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations." So in this verse, grace is connected with Paul's ministry in his apostleship. Through Christ we have received grace and apostleship. So we can look at that and, and, and comprehend that his calling as an apostle was a gift of grace and that he fulfills that ministry through the power of that grace. So that grace is not just um, God's saving grace in the life of Paul in the, in the meaning of his salvation, but also in his calling, his calling to be an apostle. So we can base that on what Paul says about the relationship between grace and ministry in, in chapters 12 and, and 15 of Romans. We have different gifts that are different according to the grace that's given us is the way that's worded uh, in chapter 12. He says, through the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Uh, and then in, in chapter 15, grace was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So clearly he makes this connection between his calling and this grace. So in verse uh, 5, when he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, he means that God not only saved him from his sin, but he also gave him grace to be an apostle 
and to deliver this message, this gospel of God. That is, that all happens through grace. And so it is for you in your life. You may say, well, I'm not an apostle. And I don't have that calling. You have a calling. You have something that God intends for you to do. And it is through grace that you're able to fulfill God's calling on your life. So well, what, what are those things? Well, let me, let me pick some really easy ones. What about a mother? What about a father to your children or a mother to your children? Maybe, maybe you're a leader in some way. Maybe, maybe you serve in a more co- official capacity. Maybe you're a deacon in the church. Uh, maybe that God has called you to the ministry uh, to, to preach the gospel. Maybe, maybe that's it. But all of those different things, all of those ways that God may be calling you to serve are fulfilled through His grace. Uh, and we need to keep that in mind. That's what Paul says here. He says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship. It is through that grace that I have apostleship. And then he says this, For obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Obedience to the faith. John Gill said this about that phrase, Maybe meant the grace of faith attended with evangelical obedience. For obedience rightly performed is only that which is by faith and springs from it. Now grace and apostleship were received in order to be exercised. Obedience to the faith. So Paul says this gospel is being preached to you and and I'm bringing it to you through the grace that I've received as an apostle for obedience to the faith among all nations. For many, many years, uh, the, the people that I grew up among, I don't believe we were doing a very good job of that, uh, of preaching the gospel and, and going out to different places for the obedience of the faith to the faith among all nations. I think we, there's been a revival of that, which I'm very thankful for. But the meaning of what I think this is, is, is pretty much plainly what it says, <laughs> that God, His apostleship, uh, the calling of the ministry today is for the obedience to the faith of all nations. So that this gospel that Paul's going to unpack in the entire book of Romans is being preached. Uh, it's being declared. It's being uh, told. And because of that, and obedience to that message, which is all of the Lord among all nations, God is calling out a people. He's still doing that today. He's going to do it till Christ returns. He's calling out His people to obedience to the faith among all nations. Not in Judea only, which was... Uh, where the, the apostles started, but also in all nations of the world. And, and we should be about that and supporting that in every way that we can for His name. We're saved by grace through faith, and God has ordered it so for a reason. It's not of works so that no man can boast. It is for His name. So the reason that God has ordained the way that we are saved is that He gets the glory in all of that. We cannot claim any of the glory for ourself. Uh, in our salvation, in our calling, in our obedience, in all things, Christ gets all the glory. It is for His name. Because of Him, we look to Him and He gets all the glory for our salvation. Then He wraps up the, this part of this letter by saying, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he says to all of them who are called to be saints. So it supports what He has said above, that we are called uh, by Him, that the Spirit has to come in. So this gospel message, uh, this, 
this message about Christ that you've heard about today, that He's human, He had a humanity, that He was born of the line of David, the fact that He's that He is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord, all of that can only be truly understood when we are called by Him. He must first call us. Uh, enjoyed uh, getting to come and worship with you today. I uh, hope that those things have been a blessing to you, that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you'll be able to rejoice in that today and, and through this season as we celebrate the birth of Christ, uh, that you'll have some time to uh, just really sit and think about who Jesus Christ is the fact that He came to this earth, that He lived a perfect and sinless life, uh, that we might one day have uh, fellowship with Him for all eternity. Lord bless and keep you.